0: To make it happen, you need to keep pushing it, you need to keep going at it. It's very easy to give up and to say like, you know what, it's too difficult or it's too expensive or we can't make it work, there's too many variables which we don't know how to fix. This specific deal, there was at least two times where it looked it was gonna die and then it was about going back, sitting down, thinking it through and trying to find solutions to those challenges. But honestly, it was the persistency to keep going. I'm not saying that you should do everything, but you can be persistent and achieve a lot by keep trying to do it and finding solutions to it.
1: Hi, I'm Amanda Kua, and this is One More Scoop. Here, We're sitting down with Southeast Asia's top founders, executives, and investors to have honest conversations about their personal journeys and find out what really happens behind the scenes. Nicholas Vivero is the co-founder and CEO of Penn Brothers, a professional employer organization also known as PEO that helps companies around the world scale and grow their businesses through building remote teams from the Philippines. He's passionate about creating meaningful work opportunities for Filipinos and bridging the talent gap in Asia's startup ecosystem. Penn Brothers serves clients in a wide range of industries from tech startups to e-commerce companies, and they aim to create 5,000 more jobs for Filipinos by 2026. Hi Nico. so nice to meet you today, and so nice to get to speak with you after, I guess, hearing about you since the start of my tech career and hearing about Ten Brothers.
0: <laughs> Hi Amanda, well, thank you for having me first of all, and and yeah, it's it's great to speak to you directly and to be here. I mean, it's we as I said a moment ago, I've been I've been reading your newsletter every morning. It's it's actually quite interesting and it's fascinating how you put all the information from around Asia, Southeast Asia together. It's really helpful and and really interesting to see what's happening out there, not only in the Philippines, but
1: in other countries. Well, thank you so much, Nico. I think for me, something I'm always curious about with every person I know is that what kind of experience did they have through their childhood and what influenced them throughout their lives? So my first question for you would be, what was your childhood like? Where were you born and where did you grow up?
0: Okay, I think we have, we need a little bit more time about that. No, I'm (laughs) So I was, I'm actually, I'm not Asian. I know this is a podcast, so people cannot see me. I'm not. I'm not Asian. I'm actually half South American from Venezuela and half German. I was born in South America in Venezuela itself. lived there for my first ten years, and then due to family reasons, my mother and I moved to Germany. I managed to go to school there for a few years, and then we moved to we relocated after that to Mexico. So then I did actually my high school in Mexico and I graduated out of high school in Mexico. So very interesting experiences, very different cultures. So. Ironically, I thought Mexico would be similar to Venezuela, and it wasn't at all. It's very different, but very, very nice and very friendly people. And I think all those three different locations and cultures were quite important in in, in who I am nowadays. And one, and I, and they are also very important of why I feel so comfortable in the Philippines. Uh, Philippines has huge Spanish influence in its culture, in in the way families interact, friendships are built, and and cabarcadas and things like that. So it's really, well, it was really fascinating for me. The first time I came to the Philippines in 2005, I was like, I landed in Naya, and I was like, Oh, I, I know this. I, I've experienced this type of chaos. So that was my my childhood up to high school. After that, I went to study in Switzerland, and so studied there for quite some time. And then I had the opportunity to do a sabbatical after my master' degree in in Japan. Originally only with the idea of being there for, for five months uh, doing martial arts. So uh, side note, I, I was doing or had been doing karate and aikido since I was like six years old. So I, I had this opportunity of doing this five month sabbatical in Japan with the idea of afterwards going back to, to Europe and, and find myself a job and start with my career. But there during that sabbatical in Japan, I applied for internships in Japan to different companies um, thinking that it would be great to add that to my to my cv to my experience and yeah and i got actually the opportunity by a japanese company who was brave enough to hire me as an intern to to stay in japan after that first 5 months and that led to my career in japan and in and in the philippines and and my whole stay in asia for now about 18 years so it started with an internship and i ended up working for that company for 18 years so it was quite a long time
1: How about in your childhood, you mentioned you were into martial arts, you did karate and Aikido since you were six. What were your interests when you were still young, maybe under 10?
0: What were my... Good question. Sports, any type of sports. When it wasn't karate at that time, I wasn't doing Aikido when I was that young. It was anything else from anything which had a ball, to be very honest, from, (laughs) from soccer to a tennis ball to a basketball ball to yeah not golf to be honest but any anything else which which entailed running or chasing or hitting something so even baseball because that's a, that's the national sport in Venezuela actually it's baseball so yeah it, it's a sports and being outdoors so that was actually my my main childhood entertainment I think my mom took more time trying to get me into the house than than to get me out of the house <laughs>
1: And what was the experience like moving so often? I feel like, you know, moving from Venezuela to Europe and then back into Mexico, those are all very different, right? As you mentioned, what was the experience having to, I guess, get accustomed to a new environment every time? And how do you feel like that influenced you growing up?
0: The experience itself is both very interesting and it gives you a lot of experience and a lot of new things and a lot of new friendships and and ideas and exposure. So it's, it's on the one hand, I always enjoyed it. But at the same time, and it's a little bit difficult to explain, I, I also it, it came with an element of sadness. And also at the beginning, always when there was a move, loneliness, because you're moving. You have your set of friends, then you move to another country. You need to make new friends. You're going to a new school. You don't know anybody. So you feel lonely and you do ask the question, what am I doing here? Why did my parents relocate me here? But at the same time, as I said, you you do make friends. Um, you do get to know people. You do get to see a different culture, and and in Mexico specifically, well, also in Germany, to be honest. But you know, they, they, these are countries with with a lot of history and a lot of traditions and a lot of yeah traditions, history, culture. So so it's fascinating. I mean, I think when I moved to Germany, what was fascinating for me was was a new discovery of a sense of freedom. Like the fact that my mom gave me a bicycle and said, okay, you cycle now to school, which in Venezuela was impossible. It was fascinating to me that that sense of like, oh, I can, I can do, my, do this myself. And then Mexico was differently. It's, it's, again, there was a sense of being alone. Of course, I was with my family there, but you know, you have to make friends. But at the same time, then finding out that the Mexicans are super friendly, super welcoming. The first weekend I was at school, they invited me to some party, and basically I came up. I came back three days later. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was a lot of fun actually. So it became it, it's, it was it was great. But you know, everybody has different experiences when relocating. I, I my sister, for example, for her at the beginning going to Mexico was not that easy. It took her longer. To make friends but then once she made the friends she never wanted to leave uh, so, so <laughs> we all experience different challenges when relocating but it was great and it was it was it's part of who i am i mean i feel very comfortable in different cultures and i think it moving forward or or from that moment i was it was very easy for me to see a move to a different country not as a you know as something to to avoid, but it's something to actually consider and be open about it and not be afraid about it or of it or from it, about it. Anyway, not be afraid. So so that's why, I mean, afterwards I moved again. I mean, I moved to Switzerland, then I moved to Japan, then I moved to the Philippines. So all of, all of those moves were then moves which I wanted to do. I, I volunteered for them. And I think my upbringing, living in three different countries before that is what made me that flexible and that willing to explore new things.
1: And then when you're taking your first university degree, or maybe even your MBA, what did you have planned for when you graduated? Did you want to work in Germany? Did you want to work in Switzerland? What did you want your career to look like?
0: Yeah, I studied in a university in Switzerland, which is quite renowned for its uh, business and economic departments. Actually, we do not that university doesn't do much else besides business and economics, and I think some politics or diplomatic careers. And I want to be fair, if there's anybody listening to this who is from that university, there is also law, but very centric or directed to business. Anyhow, so most of my peers, we all dreamed the same thing. We all wanted to go either to a Swiss bank or to a Swiss pharmaceutical or to Nestle or to any other big Swiss or European multinational. And most of them did actually. It's only now that it's becoming more and usual to, to go straight into entrepreneurship. Or straight into something else. But from my peers, I, I don't have numbers, but I would say the large, vast majority went into multinationals. And, and, and to be fair, I, I did kind of the same, just not in Switzerland. I ended up going to a very large corporation in Japan. So it's, it's not like I did so different than them. It's just that I chose a different area of the planet to do that, to replicate that. So, I mean, we, I think the dream was that to make a career in a big corporation and and things like that. That's, that's, uh, I, I guess. Yeah. I'm not sure if that answers the question, but I, I'm trying to answer the question.
1: It does. So at the time you never thought of becoming an entrepreneur.
0: No, no, that actually never crossed my mind when I was after university and going out. Actually, I actually, uh, I rather the opposite. I mean, at the beginning, I was still playing with the idea of doing a PhD in economics. Because I didn't do an MBA. I did a master in economics. Oh. So I was playing with that idea. But then I realized that I didn't want to be working in a university forever. So, But that's the opposite of being an entrepreneur. (laughs) So no, my career in Japan opened my eyes to entrepreneurship and is the reason why I ended up together with my co-founders starting Penn Brothers is because I was hired in the international department of that company. To do business development, which is at the end of the day, nothing but, you know, looking for entrepreneurial ideas, looking for business opportunities because this company wanted to expand from Japan to Southeast Asia. And when you do that, that's literally like, okay, how do we expand? Like, how do we set up an office in Singapore? How do we create a business in Vietnam or in the Philippines or in Thailand? So, so that's where the entrepreneurship side came in because I started doing that as a profession for a a larger corporation. And, and that was super, super interesting. But it is it is a difference if you do this for another company and for their money than if you do it with your own <laughs> money for yourself. So that's totally that's, it's, a big, it's a big difference.
1: And so you were actually went to the Philippines for the first time, I think, on a business trip for the Japanese company, right?
0: Correct. In 2005. Yeah.
1: Like, how did the business trip leave you with an impression of the Philippines? Did it give you any?
0: Oh, yeah. No, I loved it. As I said, I I remember very clearly arriving in the So, So I was together with our Filipino business partner at that time. We both came from Japan and we arrived in Naya Terminal 2 and it was a gigantic chaos and the lines were all over the place and immigration was a nightmare. And I remember standing, I don't know if if, Terminal 2, I'm pretty sure this is Terminal 2, you have the stairs going down before you have to go through immigration. And I remember standing on the top of the stairs or halfway on the top and seeing this mass of people. And I'm like, oh, I, I know this. I've been there. I mean, this is Mexico. This is Venezuela. This is this is very familiar to me. So that was my first impression. And then, I mean, honestly, the weather, the people, the openness of people. I mean, the the way our business partners team, the ones we were working with at that time, and we, we were still exploring the whole idea of actually doing something in the Philippines. We were not yet business partners. It was an exploratory trip. It was super interesting. And, and people were super open, Super friendly, super engaged. Uh, so the everybody I met was very, very keen in exploring this business idea and working on it. And you need to understand, I was at that time, yeah, my mask might be off, but I think I was 26, 27. I was young. My business partner was the, my my future business partner, our future business partner was the same age. So we and and having then everybody around us being super energized and super positive about it and, and actually listening to our coconut ideas of what business we wanted to create was 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 really great. It left me... I mean, I I remember I went back to Japan and then my reporting back to Japan was like, listen, we have a big opportunity there because of the potential client, because of what they want us to do, but also because of the people in the Philippines and the people with or working with our business or at our business partner. I mean that that needs to come together because you can have a great opportunity but if you don't have the right partner or team that you can make it happen then it's not, it's not going to work it's not going to make it, it's not going to happen
1: and at the time what what year was that 2005,
0: 2005.
1: So second half 2005 yeah and then when he went back Actually, to japan mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I know 2000. I'm pretty sure 2005. it might have been 2004 actually, to now that I'm thinking about it, but I'm pretty sure it's 2005. <laughs> but don't pin me down. That One of those two. Okay. Like, I, I.
1: And then when you got back to Japan and you reported back, what happened afterwards? Did you immediately start working on the project in the Philippines? Did it push through?
0: Yeah, we did. We did. We started working on it. That's why I'm not 100 sure about it because I remember. So we brought, we set up the company at the end of 2005. We brought in what became the service which was a ship a tanker also at the end of 2005 and it started operating at the at the beginning of January 2006 so that means and it took about a year to set it up more than a year so maybe I came actually the first time at the end of 2004 now that I'm thinking about it but anyway that's that's uh, not really that important but Yes it, it we, we managed to set it up so we set up a, we set up a company we built a team we hired the people we bought the ship we brought it we bought the ship actually at Edida, which is quite far away. It was a great business trip. we brought it all the way over here with a conduction crew it's a long trip and yeah and, and managed to set it up. It was a great experience because it was really from everything from A to Z from conceptualizing the idea to pitching it to the potential client to pitching it internally to our to the shareholders to the partners to also pitching it to the government because we're talking about domestic shipping in this case. So this this needs approval in, here in the Philippines by Marina and, and the coast, the, the Maritime Authority Marina, and uh, all kinds of other things. So setting up the company, hiring the people. So as I said, that was the whole. You had to set up a company. The, it's a whole entrepreneurial experience and process making the business plans, uh, getting them validated, uh, defending them, actually, because, I mean, there's a lot of questions being asked if you're actually thinking it through correctly. But yes, we made it happen and it was very successful for many years, actually.
1: And for this project, did you lead it for years on after or did you just progress to other projects
0: No, I was business development. So we turned it over then to the management team here in the Philippines. I was still based in Japan. So I was continuing to doing other business developments, both in the Philippines as well as other Asian countries for the Japanese company. So I didn't run it. We were part of making it happen, of conceptualizing it, setting it up. But then the day-to-day management, the day-to-day running of it was done locally by a local team.
1: And then how did the rest of your career at that Japanese company go? What do you think you learned a lot from them that you feel like you took into your experience building Penn Brothers?
0: Um, So various things. They gave me the opportunity to actually be entrepreneurial and to learn how to be entrepreneurial. I mean, there was a lot of guidance, a lot of input by senior managers, more experienced people both on the Japanese side, as well as on the Filipino partner side. And this is in that case, um, the same when we set up a company in other places in Southeast Asia. There was always a lot of mentorship, a lot of guidance, and a lot of learning. Two particular people who stood out there is, is my direct boss at that time, but unfortunately has passed on or, or passed away. By now, but he spent a lot of time explaining things to me and explaining to me like how he would go about setting it up, how he would analyze the numbers and things like that. And then there was another person who was the mentor actually of our business partner, a Japanese gentleman. Also, also unfortunately, who has passed on by now. It was fascinating because through and through, extremely knowledgeable about setting up companies, but also within the shipping industry. So whenever we had a question, we would basically trot over to his office, sit down and listen to him, and then try to understand all the golden nuggets, which would he would say, and then learn from that. So it was a great experience. I think at that time it was more like being a sponge, trying to learn as much as quickly as possible, and then try to apply it. Because a lot of those things, you know, you don't you learn some of the theories in university, but you don't learn how to get it done. And the other thing I learned was to make it happen, you need to keep pushing it. You need to keep going at it. It's very easy to give up and to say like, you know, what it's too difficult or it's too expensive or we can't make it work. There's too many variables which we don't know how to fix. I mean, this specific deal, there was at least two times where it looked it was going to die. And then it was about going back, sitting down, thinking it through and trying to find solutions to those challenges. But honestly, it was the persistency to keep going. And that still applies nowadays. And it applies to when we set up Penn Brothers. We had many problems and many challenges at the beginning, which you could also have said, you know what? This is too complicated. This is too challenging or we don't know how to fix this. Let's just call it a day and leave it. And not necessarily leave it in the sense of closing the company, but let's leave this client. Let's not touch this client. It's too complicated or let's not do this service because it's going to take us too much effort finding a solution to this. And so I'm not saying that you should do everything, but you can be persistent and achieve a lot by keep trying to do it and finding solutions to it.
1: And I think you really stayed at your previous company for a long time. Yeah, 18 years. Is there a reason you stayed there for that long, for 18 years? Because I've seen a lot of LinkedIn profiles, right? Nobody has stayed at a company for 18 years like you, at least not a lot of people I've seen.
0: (laughs) You know, it creeps on you. It happened without actually properly realizing that it happened. But it also happened, to be honest, I was lucky enough to get different opportunities within the same company. So it's not that I was doing for 18 years the same thing over and over. I was doing 18 years business development, but in different ways. So at the beginning, it was shipping. Then it became renewables. Then it became actually when they sent me to the Philippines about, okay, let's be part of the management team in the Philippines of running those companies. There was a lot of also problem solving of learning new markets, creating new partnerships. So it was always interesting or not always, but there was enough change on a regular basis and enough new things coming up on a regular basis that kept me... Engaged and interested. But honestly, also at the same time, we started Pen Brothers before I left the Japanese. So we started Pen Brothers in 2014. I left the Japanese on his, only last year. So I was doing also Pen Brothers and my full time work in parallel. This, by the way, was approved by them. I asked them before I started Pen Brothers. So they knew about this. And so I think. What I'm trying to say with this, there was also an element of fear. Ten Brothers was much smaller. It was a startup. We didn't know if it's going to work out. And I was, to a degree, also afraid of taking that leap of faith and putting everything into one. I felt, well, I, I have done this until now. I can continue to do this in parallel. My theory was, I looked at the owner of my company in Japan, or the company I was working for. And it's like it's not like this is a big company, and they have many businesses. And it's not like the owner has to go and do every business by himself. You know, you can also build a team. You can also create various businesses without having to do everything yourself. So my theory was that I could do that. But at the end of the day, after 18 years, I also realized that it was enough. It was a great time, but I wasn't as happy anymore with the work. It was becoming repetitive. And Penn Brothers was growing a lot after COVID. Also, there was the need for some changes and there was an opportunity and my partners asked me if I was willing to take the jump. And I did. And it was a great decision, actually.
1: And I guess, could you take me to the start of Penn Brothers? How did you go about starting it? When did the idea start and how did you start setting it up?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. That's a good question. But very honestly, originally, we didn't think about Penn Brothers as what it is nowadays as a service provider for international companies who are looking for talent and need to find good talent and are open and willing to also find talent outside of their core markets. Let's say a Singaporean company, instead of hiring somebody in Singapore, being open to hiring a person in the Philippines, be it a a coder or a QA tester or a graphic designer or you name it, whatever it can be. Usually, Philippines has it. Originally. What we were trying to do was actually a gin bar, so that was actually our first idea. Um, a gym bar, yeah, a bar, a, yeah, a a bar in bar. a gym. Yeah, we were no, 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 a gin bar, like gin, like never, like gin, like like the oh, drinks. Oh, a
1: gin bar, cocktail, okay. bar. Yeah,
0: gin cocktails. Got it. Yeah. That was originally our idea, and we were actually looking for spaces in PTC and in Makati to set up a bar. Then we very quickly realized that that was not really what was going to make us happy, specifically the working <laughs> hours after our regular job. <laughs> Um, and also the scalability. I guess you can scale bars and restaurants, but we don't know anything about it. Neither my business partners nor I have any clue about it. It was more of a pipe dream. So then we went in to do different things or look at different ideas. But my main co-founder and best friend, Guy, at that time, he then became a partner in a startup and they had just raised Series A, I believe. So they were looking to scale. They needed to find people and he was looking for people and he was visiting me in the Philippines and i recommended to him like let's try it out in the Philippines if the fortune 500 companies can do it with bpos why can startups not do it also why can we not find really good filipinos to work for startups even if the startup is not in the philippines if it's the startup is in somewhere else so that's how we started and that's how we decided to try it out so he needed people so we found some people initially actually as freelancers to just give it a try for him and when he realized that they were really good and they really had the skills but also the personalities he was looking for then we set up the company we set up everything needed to make it work and we set up our first office because at that time there was no we work there was i think only a space available and they were full <laughs> so we needed an office space we needed to provide internet we needed to provide everything at that time so that's how we started we started from a need we didn't start honestly because we had this grand idea of like oh we have this vision of being a service provider to startups. We had a startup who needed people and we're like, well, why don't we try it out and see if we can provide? I have this idea or we have this idea that Filipinos can be great also for startups, not only for Fortune 500 back office support. So that's how we started.
1: So your first test was really providing talent for your friend's company.
0: Yeah, 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 correct.
1: And then when did you realize that, okay, this is working? Was it like one month into the job, two months into the job where they were already hired?
0: Uh, Very quickly after hiring the first people, because way and behold, when we started reaching out to our network, we realized that there were various people in our network who were interested in the same service. They either had other startups or young companies and who needed talent and were looking for talent, and they thought, oh, Philippines is actually a great idea, or... There was another friend of ours who actually had already a team in the Philippines, but they were freelancers and they needed to basically get properly, you know, get a proper HR, get a mandatory benefits and all those things, which usually freelancers don't, they they are supposed to get it themselves, but they don't. So that was uh, another scenario. Honestly, the first office was designed for about 40 to 50 people. Within two weeks, we were full. So yeah, it took us by surprise, to be very honest.
1: So the office is full because you would hire the talent and let them work from your office?
0: Uh, Yes, both. Both because we would hire the talent and then they would work from the office. At that time, remote work was not yet... I mean, like working from home like it is now from after COVID was not yet a given and actually even asked for. But we also had a little bit of co-working demand. So there were also some companies who knew us friends who said like, hey, you happen to have an office. I happen to have five people. I need a desk for them, a space for them with good internet. Are you available? So at the beginning, we grew with both. So a little bit like KMC. We grew with both providing the people, the talent itself, as well as also providing co-working space. We still have a little bit of co-working, but it's very minor. We focused very soon after on the people.
1: And then what did the first year of Penn Brothers look like? And how does that differ from maybe the setup or how you guys operate now, or maybe the business model works now?
0: Well, I mean, the business model is inherently, in a nutshell, it's still the same. The difference is obviously the size that we have nowadays and the resources we have nowadays, and the team we have nowadays enables us to provide a much more comprehensive service to our clients and a much more tailor-fit and consultative approach to how we service our clients. So at the beginning... We had to do everything ourselves. We had to interview the people. So let's say a client comes, let's say you, you come and you say like, okay, you know, I'm growing my my newsletter. I need some more content writers and I need somebody else who can support me, set up the podcast and help me, you know, the scheduling and whatnot. So I need three people. At that time you would give us the job description. So uh, kind of, and then we ourselves would go out there together with Gabi, our third co-founder and try to fight the people and look for the people and hire the people and we would, have to do payroll ourselves and accounting ourselves and yeah, everything. We were shoestringing it because you know we were small, helping with the fixing of the internet ourselves and stuff like that. That's a very different situation nowadays. I mean, we are a much larger corporation and nowadays we have a dedicated talent acquisition team. We have a dedicated sales department. Client success department, IT operations department, which helps fixing the internet when it's not working and making sure everything is working in the offices and at the homes of our employees. So that enables us to provide a much more, I call it consultative approach. Maybe there's different ways of calling it like a much more hands-on, helpful approach where we can help the potential client and the clients understand what they need, what job description they have, which translate to the Philippines, understand also what other services do they need. For example, can we provide you with learning and development with team building events? Can we provide you with other HR related services, which you need to build your team, retain your team, grow your team, grow the people within your team? Because again, they are our employees, but they are working for a specific client, providing service to that client. So it's in the best interest also of all our clients to make sure the people here are engaged, they're happy, they are getting training, they feel supported, they have obviously good internet and infrastructure. So all of those things, nowadays, we can provide them in a much more comprehensive way than what we were able to do when we started.
1: And how did it look like initially? How did you fund the company? I know now there's a lot of angel investors and venture capital. But I think at the time that you started, I think that was 2014. That was probably not the case, right? So how did you fund the company initially?
0: Uh, we put in our savings, to be very honest. So both Guy and I took a very large portion of our savings and invested it into the company and then strung it. I guess that's the past tense from there. So And that's also part of the reason why we never did hyper growth kind of situation, because we couldn't do it. We couldn't just say, okay, let's hire 50 salespeople and go crazy. And let's throw a lot of money into Google AdWords and marketing and social media and whatnot, because we didn't have the money for that. So we had to grow it slowly, but also carefully and word by mouth through our network and recommendations of existing clients or people who knew about us or friends who knew about us, who knew about somebody else who was trying to hire people. It was a much slower growth. I personally like it. I prefer it that way. I would have a little bit of a cold sweats and nightmares if I would have huge cash flow deficits all based on the dream. One day we're going to make this positive if we just grow fast enough. That's not really the way the Japanese do business. And that's how I was trained for 18 years. So yeah.
1: What were your biggest challenges in growing the business, especially having another job on the side? I mean, Penn Brothers has been around for almost 10 years at this point. So I'm sure you're not short of difficulties as you've grown the business?
0: There were many. I think the first one and the biggest one was to get people to trust us. Again, this is pre-COVID. This is pre-Zoom being huge, Google Meets and all those applications. At that time, a lot of people were still worried or, or not worried, maybe not fully convinced on the concept that you could actually build a remote team. The whole idea of saying, okay, sure, let me hire three, four, five, ten, twenty, 10, 20, whatever amount of people in a remote country, far away from where I am, was not a given. A lot of people were very reluctant, and a lot of people were not open to the idea. So actually convincing people of trusting us, believing in us, that was the main challenge. And it takes effort, and it takes time, and you need to deliver. I mean, because the worst thing which can happen is that somebody says, sure, okay, let's do it, and then you don't deliver. If you don't deliver, then... Not only won't they do it again, they will actually not recommend you to anybody else. They will do the opposite. So gaining that trust, having people believe in us was the big challenge. And then over time, you know, operational challenges. You grow, but you don't grow equally in strength in all your departments. So let's say some moments our recruitment wasn't good enough and we needed to strengthen that. Other times our accounting was messy and we needed to fix that. Other times our offices had operational issues because the internet wasn't working good enough for like basic things, but they happen and they still happen. It's not like they don't happen anymore. They still happen, but it becomes easier when you have a little bit more of a team and the resources to manage those things. And then COVID. COVID, I think, was... As for, I guess, most companies was a huge challenge. And it was also very scary at the beginning because we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know how many of our clients would actually survive. Our clients didn't know if they were going to survive. And very frankly speaking, some clients did not survive. We didn't know if we were going to survive. <laughs> so that was scary. And that took a lot of lot of time, a lot of energy and a lot of some decisions which were necessary But they were tough. They were hard. I mean, we had more offices before COVID and we had to retrench on office space. When you retrench on office space, that has an implication on some employees because you know it is unfortunately the way it is. So that was difficult. That was difficult. On the other hand, COVID was also over time positive for us because by now nobody is questioning anymore if you can have remote work. That COVID solved. That question has been answered. And so that has actually been very helpful for us and I believe actually very helpful for the Philippines. You, you can see that also in the BPO industry, how much they're growing. is because companies are now much more open to the idea of outsourcing, offshoring, building remote teams. So in that sense, to long term, I think COVID has actually been good for this industry and related industries and for the Philippines in that sector.
1: And moving from working in a large corporation to being a startup CEO, what were the biggest shocks, I guess, as a leader in running the business?
0: Oh, I think, so the difference between my experience and I guess other people is I came in already as a CEO into Penn Brothers when Penn Brothers was already seven years, seven and a half years. So quite established. And we already had structures and systems and a good team. I think nonetheless, that being said, when I came in, it was at the same time that we had about half of the senior leadership team was also new or coming in at the same time. So there was a lot of adjustments and change management happening, which was difficult for a lot of people because, you know, a lot of not just the CEO, but a bunch of people were changing and and new with new ideas, new goals, new visions. So that all had to be aligned. And that took time. And it took time also for all of us to get to know each other and to know how to work with each other. Personally and professionally, the biggest change and surprise to before. So before I wasn't the CEO, I was a senior manager in a larger corporation, but I was not the final decision maker. I was not the top person. And that is a big difference because at that time, I was still dealing with a lot of operational problems, a lot of issues also with clients and managing clients. Now, while I still do that to a degree, it is much more managing people and managing people's emotions and people's issues and trying to make that all work. So it's a lot of shrinking, to be very honest. We all suffer of bad days or have issues at home or had a bad night because our child didn't sleep or the neighbor was nosy or whatever it is, you know, and that translates usually into your work because it's normal. And then problems start happening. People start miscommunicating or misunderstanding communication. And I spent a surprising amount of time and that took me by surprise in dealing with that. It's actually very interesting. I like it to a degree, but it takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of patience.
1: What would be your advice to somebody who is also a startup CEO or a corporation CEO when they're having difficulties with their team, maybe attracting new people or helping them overcome their own difficulties?
0: Yeah, I think for me, what has been the most helpful is actually having a group of friends who are in similar positions. So a group of peers, so to speak, that you can actually speak to. And these are not people in the company. These are people outside of the company. But you can speak about what you're experiencing. And you will very quickly realize they're experiencing very similar things or have experienced very similar things. So this is, in my case, very helpful because it works almost like a sanity check. You know, so you don't think that something is wrong on your side. It's actually normal. They have been there or they're there at that same time. And you kind of help each other calibrate things and understand this. I believe if you don't have that, it can be very, very lonely because you start doubting yourself. You start looking at this and thinking like, is this because of me? Is this all blowing up? For example, in this case, because I'm making a mistake here, is this normal? What's going on here? Again, for me it was also a new experience. So for me, that having those peers to talk to was very helpful. And I think there are many organizations around the world, which are specifically set up for that. Like EO is one of those. YPO is another one roundtables, CEO roundtables. Makati Business Club, honestly speaking, I guess is also similar to that. They exist for a reason. It's so people can actually talk. And Because you can't go and vent at a team member. It's not productive.
1: And you can't also share it with somebody who has no context with the problem or no context with what you're doing.
0: Correct. Correct. And you can't also do that with your partner at home. First of all, there's no context or limited context. And second of all, it's also inherently unfair. I mean, your partner, whoever she or he is, is not there to help you with that, necessarily.
1: And I want to also understand, like, since I started Penn Brothers, how do you feel like it really evolved? Since you've seen it from the start until now, all these years and through COVID, what do you think has been the biggest evolution? Has it been a change in your mindset in running the business? Has it been a change in the, the vision or something else?
0: It's a good question. I think it has evolved... Into something which both my partner and I, Guy in this case, not my wife, but my partner from the company, really, really like. So we both come from countries where there is historically brain drain. So Venezuela uh, is a country where the majority, okay, maybe that's an exaggerated, but a lot of people have left over the last 20 years because of the economical situation. Uh, Mexico is a country, as you can see in the news, where there's always people trying to leave, usually to America or to Canada. My business partner comes from Portugal. Portugal has changed in the last five, six years. But before that, it was a country where people would migrate away. They would go to England. They would go to Germany, to Switzerland, yeah, to Northern Europe or America. So we come from countries where brain drain is a big thing. And so one of the ideas we had when Pen Brothers started becoming more serious... Is Okay, how do we scale this, not just because we want to make it bigger, but also because at the end of the day, this is a way to provide interesting jobs in the Philippines, higher paying jobs, which otherwise would not be available to the Filipinos. If you want to work for some of our clients in America, in Australia, in Singapore, in in Europe. Without them working through us, they would have to leave the Philippines. They would have to move to America or move to Australia or move to Europe or work freelance, but then not have all the social benefits that somebody who takes care of them from an HR perspective, from a taxation perspective, from an HMO perspective. So for us, this has been also a way of creating something which, in a very small way, minimizes brain drain. And now after COVID, and that's the evolution of this whole brain drain idea, now after COVID, Because people can also work from home, they don't have to come to Manila, they don't have to come to the office. It actually allows people to work from anywhere in the Philippines. And honestly speaking, if you make a good salary or if you make a certain salary in Manila and you make the same salary now in Palawan or in Bohol or in Mindanao, you're going to have an even better life quality or you can make savings. And so and you don't have to because there's two types of brain drains in the Philippines, like in any third world country. It's the brain drain out of the Philippines, but it's also the brain drain from the countryside into Metro Manila or Cebu and Davao, like the three big cities. So minimizing that, reducing that or reducing actually the need of having to leave your family and having to leave your friends to move to Manila or move overseas. That's something which we're trying to also help with this and help with, obviously, on a small level to minimize. And so that's something which has evolved. COVID helped again with that. It has even evolved in the case that we have had team members who decided, you know what, great, I can work remotely. I don't need to be in the in Manila. I can actually move back to my hometown. I can move back with my parents or grandparents. And I think that's great. That makes them happy. That makes their family happy. That makes, honestly, the clients are happy because usually what it also entails is that the employee is much more focused and uh, engaged. So it's a win on all sides. And it's something we're very proud of. And it's something we always thought about, that how can we make this? So pre-COVID, we actually were thinking, how do we set up offices all over the Philippines so that people don't have to move to Manila, that they can work from there? Now, after COVID, yeah, remote offices is still a thing, but it's also working from home.
1: I think something great about this model also is that these people would otherwise have to leave the country and then spend the rest of their lives in whatever country that may be like the U.S. or Canada, their children would grow up there, likely never come back to the Philippines. And at the same time, I feel like if they're here, they actually get to spend money in the Philippines. They actually get to contribute to taxes in the Philippines. So I feel like apart from the brain drain, it also helps more higher income people actually spend in the Philippines and contribute to taxes and contribute to spending, for example, sending their kids to school here in better schools as well, right? No, absolutely. And I think in a sense, at scale, it could also maybe even contribute to businesses here because they're spending in the country.
0: No, it does. It does. Brain drain is not only about the people who leave. It's also about the people who stay behind because all those people who are leaving they won't spend anymore in the home country, be it the Philippines, Mexico, Portugal or wherever. And so what will happen from an economical theory is that you have a downward spiral. You know, you have less people going out, less people going to restaurants, less people affording certain things. So that will impact other businesses, which will sooner or later be impacted sufficiently that they also won't be sustainable anymore. And the tax base is also a problem because it erodes the tax base of the country and that will impact the capability of the nation to do infrastructure projects to improve things to improve public schooling or public infrastructure or build subways and so on and so forth so all of that creates a downward spiral and it's very negative so actually reversing the brain or limiting minimizing the brain drain and ideally reversing the brain drain is hugely important from an economic perspective to help a country grow Mm -hmm and evolve up into a more developed economy. Because if people leave, it won't happen. And also investors won't be motivated in investing into like a new restaurant or a new hospital or into infrastructure, because why would you do it? People are leaving anyway. It doesn't actually make business sense almost. So it is very important to help the brain do it. And one thing you mentioned is very true. And I've seen this with Venezuelans that I've met around the world. After, and I'm an example, After a certain amount of time of living overseas, you know, you set up your life, you have your friends, you have your family, you have your kids, they go to school, you're not going to move back, or maybe you will, but years later, when you retire, it's very unusual to suddenly, mid-career, with young kids to say, oh, you know what, let's close everything, let's move back and see what we can do over there. Specifically, if the economic situation hasn't changed, or hasn't improved sufficiently. It can happen, of course. And there are Filipinos coming back. And that's great. Again, don't quote me. I don't know the exact statistics, (laughs) but I would assume it's not the same flow backwards than outwards.
1: Right. I'm still curious as well, like, how do you feel like building a business over the past few years has really shaped you as a person? I mean, you've committed to this for almost 10 years.
0: Excellent question also. I think it has made me definitely more mature, if I can use that word, and more patient. I think 10 years ago, I think my friends would agree with this. I was way more, I had a much shorter fuse, let's call it that way. And I was way less patient. And I think over these 10 years, not only with Penn Brothers, also with the other businesses done with the Japanese company. I mean, you learn and you grow. You become more, I became more patient. And I became also more understanding, I guess, of certain things. And of course, we want things to improve and problems to be tackled. But you go at it in a different way. And you learn also to work better. I learned to work better with my team and in a team and be part of the team and give people also time. You know, I think that's actually one of the biggest learning experiences is like, okay, it won't happen immediately. You, we need to give people also time to onboard themselves, to understand the problems and then to fix them. And there is an element of patience there with some limits.
1: And I guess like to wrap up, there's one question that I ask everybody who comes on the podcast and that's outside of work. What's one thing that you want to achieve in your personal life, whether that's something you want to achieve this month, this year, even five years from now or 10 years from now? What's the first thing that comes to mind?
0: I think something I want to do is I want to rediscover certain places which I haven't been for a very long time since my youth. Childhood and also when I was, as I said, I, for example, I did my high school in Mexico, but I haven't been in Mexico for many reasons since almost 20 years by now. And so there are certain places in this, in South America and in Central America, I would love to go back rather sooner than later to rediscover them. And also to re-explore and see them with different eyes. You know, it's, it's very different if you see them when you're 10, when you're 15, or when you see them now, I mean, I'm, I'm 45. I'm very keen of doing that, actually. And it's something that I'm trying to find time starting next year to do that, actually.
1: What does rediscover mean? Like stay there for a month or stay there for six months? Let's start
0: with a month or a few weeks at a time. But yeah, that would be an idea. I actually was talking to somebody recently, a month ago, who was doing exactly that. That's not what I want to do, but it's an interesting concept. They were traveling. So one month in Mexico, one month in Guatemala, one month in Panama, and then they were going to go all the way through South America one month at a time in, in a different country. And I think that's more than rediscovered. That's actually proper discovering because there's many places I've not been, but uh, it's a great idea actually. And, and it's nowadays with remote work, it's something which can be done.
1: I think that's it for me. Thank you so much, Nico, for the time. I feel like I learned a lot and I got to get to know you so much as well.
0: Yeah, thank you for your time and thank you for having me.